what I've always wanted is to not sit in front of my computer with a click mouse. And, <laughs> and it's so funny, man. Like the, 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 the gods of music at this point are absolute dweebs, man. Like that, they, they're the guys that are like, nah, I'm going to make this drop happen here. They just click a mouse. You know what I mean? Like it, it's so funny. Years. Well, I know. And it's so ridiculous. What I want is to be able to pull a, a huge, like, you know, hardware switch that like turns something on. Or if I want to open a filter, I want to have this huge, like, you know, Paul Bunyan style, like, you know, like, like thing. If I want to drop the bass, I want like a TNT, like box <laughs> blaster. You know, I want, I want like, there's so many like potentials for this. And I want to stand in my room and conduct this beautiful thing. Greetings, future fossils, and welcome to 2020 where this episode has been waiting for you the whole time. And uh, as silly as that sounds, I think by the end of this conversation with my dear friend, Anthony Thogmartin, lead guitarist for Papadocio, uh, genius electronic producer who works under the alias Earthcry and host of the Seed to Stage online music video tutorial series, you will agree that uh, this is the kind of conversation that really could not have happened 10 years ago or 10 years from now. It's it's very situated in this moment, even as it stretches outward into the transcendent and uh, reaches inward into the uh, magical. <laughs> so uh, I'm excited to, to share this. Anthony is, like I said, one of my favorite people. And, uh, I was really lucky that we got to sit down, uh, when, uh, his band was in town recently to perform a show at Meow Wolf, uh, which by the way, uh, I got to open for on one of their two nights. And that was a real beautiful experience. One of the best concerts I've played in, in years, uh, an amazing venue and an awesome audience, uh, really loving and attentive. And I will be uh, sharing the recording from that set on Patreon and Bandcamp and across all music streaming platforms uh, later this week. So keep your ears open for that. If you're curious about what the musical version of this podcast sounds like, um, but anyway, yeah, so earlier that day, Saturday, December 14th, Anthony and I sat down in his hotel room at the El Rey in Santa Fe, which is a super cool spot, and uh, set up his mics for this conversation because <laughs> Anthony was dogging me about the inconsistent audio quality of the show, which I accept and for which I apologize and uh, about which I resolve publicly now in this moment to improve on a consistent and regular basis in this year and beyond. And we had this extraordinary chat about different forms of media, how different media and different technologies change the way that we think and live and act in the world and uh, what that means for him personally as a musician and it was just a really cool, big thinking, starry eyed kind of a chat. Uh, and I think it really gives you a great idea of the reasons why, uh, I love this guy so much and why so many people do. Um, uh, you know, why this band deservedly 
has come up from playing pubs to like headlining Red Rocks over the years that I've known them. And it's just awesome to witness their success. Uh, all of the guys at Papadocio are, are dear and, and beloved to me. And I'm just really proud of them. And a lot of people are because they're great guys and they've made a lot of friends. But anyway, so, you know, like this is the way I want to start this year. Uh, it's a great conversation to kick off 2020 uh, for the optimism. Uh, you know, times are challenging right now and uh, complex. And I think it's it's a good thing to ring the bell of this year with something other than Iranian assassinations and the the specter of looming war and, uh, you know, the complications of political polarization and so on. And really dive into the beauty and the the optimism and the the opportunity available to us in this moment in history. But before we get started, and in keeping with that, I'd like to thank all 156 people that are supporting me and my work, including this show uh, on Patreon, including the new patrons at Noah Sturba, Hector Pang, Ashley, Roses. And uh, Justin Bowles, who just edited his pledge up, all of you are really, really important to the continued existence of this show and to me getting to devote serious time and attention to this program. It's I've dabbled with taking sponsors and it it never felt perfectly aligned. And so, you know, I, I maintain that the kind of conversations that happen on Future Fossils are really uh, only possible with listener support and that, uh, you know, frankly, I, you know, I don't know that I would have even made it through 2018 without your support. Uh, this show was paying my rent <laughs> for over a year and, you know, c- continues to, to help me make time for creative work while working full time and taking care of a, a baby. And, you know, I'm sure everyone listening knows that it ain't easy. It ain't easy to continue to to fight the good fight of uncompromised creative work while making ends meet. And so it's an outpouring of gratitude for everybody who has been uh, helping support that. Also, deep thanks to everybody that's been participating in the Future Fossils Facebook group or has been sharing this show with their friends or has left a review on Apple podcasts, which I cannot overemphasize the importance of that. It is immensely helpful. So if you like this show, if you feel like these conversations have added value to your life, I hope that you'll stop over to uh, Patreon and avail yourself of all of the free goodies I've left up there and consider uh, making a, you know, some small monthly donation. I just changed the reward structure so that more of what I'm doing is available to people. I, I didn't feel good about the sort of class structure inherent in giving people more for paying more. It just seemed like, you know, for me, my artistic work in all media has always been a gift from the heart. And so, you know, even putting anything behind the paywall has been a little awkward for me. But the fact of the matter is there are some things that I would just prefer not to be public for one reason or another. But 
uh, on that note, I have on Patreon just released another bundle of four patron exclusive so-called secret fossils conversations, uh, including one with uh, Ramin Nazer that we mentioned in this episode, as well as some new uh, patron exclusive music. And I have a lot of fun plans in store for uh, that backstage stuff for this year. So again, check it out. If you're feeling in, give you a moment to uh, pause and, and then cool. Thanks. And so, yeah, enjoy this conversation. I I think it's obvious that both of us did. And uh, I hope that it helps you get to know one of the coolest people I know a little better and uh, opens you into a whole other world of inspiring possibility. Happy new year, everybody. And enjoy. I do want to thank you, Anthony Thogmartin, one of... Strangely now in life, one of my oldest and dearest friends oh, <laughs> for being back on Future mm. Fossils mm. with a like something like 120 some episodes between the last time you were on the show and this one. Really? Yeah. Really? What episode was the 10? 10. You wow. and David Krantz were 10. Oh, and that was fun too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. But that was remote and that was back. That was the last episode that Evan Snyder co-hosted. Right. You know, that was that was like the embryo phase of this thing Mm -hmm. you know it's like i just um you know hanging out with you is just like a constant flashback to uh shouting at each other from hut to hut in the peruvian jungle in 2011 (laughs) i was wondering if this was going to come up or not (laughs) i mean we don't need to go into that you know and and like you know my like uh martian past life meltdown and you're whatever mantis adventure <laughs> but like i i do you know just just to set the stage like uh a lot of these conversations are with folks that i'm excited to talk to for the first time and this is like the coat oh, that fits yeah. you you know mm-hmm. and you're just like ah oh. but the coat is like i don't know maybe your like ex-girlfriend took the coat <laughs> and like you only get to wear the coat once a year yeah you know and you're like yeah. oh. I hope this is somewhat of a breath of uh, of old but fresh air. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's good to be here with you. It's good to witness the the flourishing of this thing, and I don't know, and that your own personal journey. Uh, you know, I don't mean to get too sappy with it, but you know, when you are familiar with someone to the degree that you see their pursuits shape them into the person that they are, like. I don't know. You now strike me as a ex- in- incredible individual that has like changed yourself through your own learning process, which is sort of the underlying story of, of, of future fossils, you know, and you, you've decided to, instead of let your brain just get washed away, you've decided to hone it by like listening to your betters all over the world. You know what I mean? And be, and become better yourself. It's just, I don't know. So, Thanks, man. Although, you know, the, your praises, you know, weirdly, the thing that I'm noticing is that the more time I devote to having these kinds of conversations, the less time I have had lately to listening to other people's podcasts. So like, <laughs> like last night you were talking about Russell Brand's show and how amazing it is. And I was like, 
you know, there were years that I was a scientific illustrator and I could listen to like five hours of podcasts a day or like live painting, at, you know, painting at home. You know, all my painter friends, I'm now super mm-hmm. jealous of the, the amount of long form conversational media that they're capable of absorbing, you know, and it feels like, you know, the, the social media day job, I can feel it, you know, splintering me, <laughs> you know, I can feel like I'm, I'm like, there's, you know, there are people that I interact with on a daily basis now online mm-hmm. that are geniuses that are also like rogue joker types that, you know, have these like sassy, um, this, this one guy in particular, uh, Ishii crew, who's constantly commenting on stuff in the future fossils and complexity explorers, Facebook groups. He's like some brilliant retired old scientist who's like most of what he says is complete lies, but it's like the most amazing, hilarious, sarcastic stories. And I'm like, dude, at this point, I'm going to have to intervene and ask you to write a, a fraudulent autobiography, like in one place rather than in Facebook comments, (laughs) you know, because like this, your genius is just getting like, it's like onanism. It's just getting, it's, it's, it's like spread upon the earth. It's not, it's not getting, you know, like how Mm. do we, how do we cohere and cluster at the thing? You know, how do we keep it bound into a single bundle? Mm. Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) I'm not quite sure. Uh, I've been so, you know, uh, I've been so sidetracked. Um, but I, but before I move on, I want to speak to that because it's been a running joke between me and, you know, the, the whole like live painter crew, uh, shout out to all our friends, but, um, they just, meanwhile, while we're editing audio and, and doing all this kind of stuff, things that require listening, right? Conversations, the same thing. They get to sit in silence and play podcasts. So meanwhile, while we're doing all this other stuff, they get to accumulate all this knowledge and become super geniuses while they're just like doing brush strokes, you know what I mean? And, and so, so that's, that's coming from a, a person that can barely draw a stick figure saying, you know, oh, it's just a brush stroke. I know that there's more to it than that, but I'm just saying they all get to listen to, like, if you have a pursuit, like if you're a knit, a knitter, what's that crochet, whatever that's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're making a quilt, if you're, you know, whatever that is, you know, if you're a crafts person, you live in one of the best times to be alive at this point because long form podcast style media is now everywhere. You can learn about anything you want and you can become a super genius. Well, meanwhile, all of us that are editing audio all day, you know what I mean? And working at working in front of a laptop, listening to things, you know, I've tried it. I have actually tried to sit there and listen to a podcast while working on some drums you know what I mean? Because I thought that drums, for the most part, like, you know what you're going for. You know what I mean? But I couldn't do it. I couldn't do, I couldn't, eventually I just, the, the, the crosstalk of different things happening at the same time, having to replay the same little section just to hear what I'm, what I'm going for. I realized that there's just no way to do this. There's no way for me to listen to a podcast and do my work. So anybody out there that like gets that privilege, realize the privilege, you know, because it is a seriously awesome thing to be able to work, do your work if it's working with your hands or whatever, and be able to listen to long form media. It's amazing. You know, there's a, like a social molecule thing that I think about a lot. You know, there's a a number of the folks at SFI, uh, Scott Page and uh, Mirta Galasic and other, and other folks have done really, uh, illuminating research on, the importance of diversity, cognitive diversity. You know, we're not talking like identity politics. We're talking about the, like 
having an autistic person on your team, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. this, this kind of thing, you know, like people who see things, having an artist and a scientist collaborate on a project together, mm-hmm. you know, the, the people who are coming at it from very different, I mean, and it, yes, obviously to a degree, uh, you know, demographic stuff works its way into that, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of the opportunities that are available to people, uh, you know, the, the life courses that we're channeled into. But the point is that like, I'm starting to, to suspect that this is, this goes so much deeper than the way we, that when we started in this space, you know, and we, we moved into the, the arts world, you know, as performers and like doing festivals and stuff back in the day, you know, uh, pre, pre, uh, financial crisis, millennial, uh, meltdown world, uh, there, I don't think there was any in, intimation that these different kinds of daily activities were going to be paired with different formats for media consumption, which were then going to result in different ways that were basically pruning the garden of our minds. Mm-hmm. And so like I, I'm beginning to suspect that these different cognitive species – have arisen in these media ecosystems so that the painters and the musicians and the, the crew and, and the, you know, the, like the, the build crew and tech crew and like all these different parts of a festival mm-hmm. are now actually like functionally a, a, uh, a cognitive monad of some kind that's like composed of all of these, these parts that have evolved uh, accordingly. And that we actually do that. The, the, we really do represent some sort of like a, it's like a ship's crew or something, you know, where like everyone has their thing, but it's, it, it happened on its own. It happened just through the course of like what is easiest for us to engage in our lives in a particular way. So people are readers, you know, and like, at, you know, it's, it's interesting for people who don't listen to podcasts to um, have to explain like, okay, listen, you know, these, these people, uh, you know, they, they work with their eyes all day, but their ears are available or like you work with your ears all day, but your eyes are available. Like those are two different species of human being <laughs> or about to become, but then like symbiotic, you know? So absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, I think that we're kind of honing in on maybe one of our, like maybe one of our talking points at this point, because like I have recently been trying to think about what does it look, what does it look like? If you were to take a bird's eye view, a zoomed out view of what's going on in general right now. And one of the things that I think that you can derive from zooming out, and I'm talking like zooming out, not only in terms of like looking at the earth objectively from far away, but also looking at the earth over a long span of time. You can absolutely say a couple things. And this to some of your listeners, I'm sure is just, you know, preaching to the choir, but, uh, in, at this at this moment, the only reason we made it is because we could talk to each other and we complemented each other's skills. You know, like if I wasn't so good at tossing a spear, there was a guy that was good at that, but he wasn't really good at identifying berries, and I happened to be good at that. And because we could talk and communicate and have these, I like how you you're you're, you're starting to form a, a, a speciation around specialization. I don't know. I don't even know if that's a thing. I'm sure it is, but, uh, you know, that's what happened. And, you know, no, at, at, at no credit to having fangs or like big muscles or having like, you know, like, like venom, we had no advantages at all. 
except that we were decent at climbing trees and decent at talking to each other, mainly decent at talking to each other. And so that's why this is all the way that it is. You know, that's why you can look at Earth and see these huge civilizations like forming on the land because we were able to talk to each other, you know. So I see this, I think, in in a time where it's really easy to look at what's going on, especially in the States and say, oh, shit's really hitting the fan. Uh Uh-oh. You know, my zoomed out view is like, hey, we're all we're, you know, this is this is scooting along pretty well right now. You know what I mean? We've got this like we've got this system going uh, and we never really got rid of the main idea around it. And that was communication, you know, and, and, and now this long form media world is starting to occur. And I see this as like one of the greatest boons to our forward advancement that we, that I think I've witnessed in my lifetime. Cause I had podcast RSS feeds way back in the day and was like, well, yeah, everything's getting shorter. This isn't going to last. You know what I mean? Like, this is so stupid. Like, like nobody's going to listen to these things. Like, I was on Space Weather and all kinds of other old, you know, really, really kind of just old antiquated kind of kind of things. And then all of a sudden, boom, all these celebrities, you know, are doing these podcasts and everybody's thinking. Everybody's thinking. These ideas are, are being disseminated uh, in, in, in just – amazing ways and people are, are are able to absorb the information in ways that they never could in school you know like how are you going to listen to that? i mean these these are people that are that are kind of older like i think like a, a median podcast listening age is well outside of the range of high school you know what i mean so if, if you think about what that is you're not distracted by your hormones <laughs> right? <laughs> you're not distracted by experimenting with substances you're not distracted by all the things that your youth you know, your youth kind of sucks away these things and you need to go through your rite of passages, whatever that means for you. And then you emerge on the other side, ready and willing to listen to new ideas, you know? And so I don't know, I don't have, I have a hopeful outcome in my head. You know what I mean? And, and I, I look at like environmental disaster and I say, okay, we're really good at communicating. Everybody's going to be like, well, shit, we can't do that again. You know? Like we we wrecked everything, can't do that again, you know. We're just really good at we're we're adaptable. We're good at talking. We're good at listening. Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> we're getting better at listening, and that's what all this is. So you're servicing. You are in what you're doing with this, and I hope that painters and musicians and scientists and everybody else is kind of paying attention. That that this is podcasts are somewhat of the cutting edge. You know what I mean? I don't mean to toot your horn too much, but I'm just I'm just watching I'm watching what I never expected to happen happen and it's awesome, you know. So there's this uh website that I saw recently uh Neil Argwalls uh Deep Sea. He's a a, a coder who is like neil.fun/deep-sea. Oh wait, is that the whole I just did that yesterday. Where you scroll 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 and you get you go from the surface of the ocean all the way down to the bottom, the very yeah. very lowest uh-huh. point in yeah. Challenger Deep. And like Nikki and I uh, did this the other night on her phone where it's like <laughs> it takes a longer cuz you have to use your thumb and you just sit there. We scrolled for like 20 minutes and it it shows you the lowest point that any fish, you know, or creature, mm-hmm, you know, like mm-hmm. what's down there and like yeah. all the deep sea weird crazy stuff that I thought, you know, like, oh, that's what's living. That's like still in like the top quarter of it, you know? And I was like, this site is so beautiful. It, it reminded me of that, that sense of exploration and discovery and, and potential that the internet had in the nineties. And, and that's, I think speaks to this particular thing, which is that, uh, you know, we're living on the same planet that we were, uh, in some sense, but 
as, but it's not the same planet in the sense that uh, not only like in the sense that we've changed it, but in the sense that as we l- learn more about it, our definition of what the planet is, is expanding out as well as in, mm-hmm. you know, like we're finding out that like baby spiders are traveling on like plumes of like, like electrical static stuff in the upper atmosphere. And that there's like this whole bacterial ecosystem, like 40,000 feet Wait, up. Spiders are flying through like, like the upper atmosphere. Yeah. What? Yeah. That's how <laughs> spiders, like spiders distribute themselves by like casting a little, like, like line of web. And then they just catch a static charge and like go drifting for like thousands of miles. And and so like there's this – I was talking with my friend Caitlin McShay at, at the Santa Fe Institute the other day because she's the one that you know throws uh, interplanetary uh, festival and she was – she's empowered to th- you know put money down on projects like this. And she, I was like, you ought to hire this uh, Neil Agwal guy to do the opposite one where it's like from the ground up and we see like how – you know, like all the different layers of stuff living in the air above us, just to remind us that we're just not like, it's not like little prints. We're not just like standing on this ball, but that we're actually in the middle of a layer of life that is, as, as we learn more and more about it, it's expanding in both directions and we're learning more about the layer that we're in. And so, yeah, it's back to that, uh, you know, differentiation within the membrane of what it, what is. And, you know, that's, that's a whole separate, uh, thing from the issue of like, are we going to other planets? Are we, you know, are we, are we going to, you know, fork the, the blockchain of humanity or whatever? But like this, this thing about, uh, the horizon extending in both directions, like the graph or the, you know, the curve, the long tail is on both ends of it. You know, the membrane uh, or the, the coastline of the island is growing in all sides as the, the molten stuff erupts and creates new land. Mm. And so, you know, to that point, like, I think something that I was missing and it sounds like, it sounds like you agree, you, you might have been missing was that like, yes, there is this splintering of attention and, and the Moore's law, like, you know, micro dosio, like you guys all showing <laughs> up with like this, like I was asking, um, uh, you know, Sam Browse, uh, one of y'all's keyboardists for those who do not know your amazing band. Um, the other last night, how it's different for him to go from this enormous keyboard array to like the Korg mini log and the Ableton push controller, mm-hmm. you know, and to work on this tight little compact rig. Mm. And I was like, so does it feel like you're more limited or less limited? And he's like, less. Cause the, you know, I got Meow Wolf. It's a perfect conversation because the whole thing is that it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside, right? 100%. Like the more attention you pour into the thing, the more finely differentiated it becomes, the more vascular. And, and, uh, you realize that like, actually it, it sort of speaks to that whole, uh, you know, intraterrestrials, you know, like the aliens are like already there, you know, we just need to pay attention for longer. And so you get, even as things are getting like so fast that you can hear like the, you, the hum of the, the world financial machine. Mm hmm like crescendoed out of the human hearing range in our lifetimes. <laughs> and like now like trillions of dollars are flying around faster than like anyone can keep track of them. Like yeah, over 20,000 Hertz. Like we right. can't hear it anymore. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like 
we're starting to think, you know, like at the beginning of the 20th century, nobody was talking about 13.7 billion years ago. And now that's like dinner table conversation. 100%. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. I mean, uh, to speak to, to that, um, yeah. So you're, you're equating these spiders that are flying way high with what I'm assuming to be the, the deepest ocean creatures, right? Yeah. I was scrolling down that and I thought I was hundred percent sure that when I got to the bottom, it was going to say on the land, Epstein didn't kill himself because of how long it took to scroll down to the bottom. Like I was like, I was 90% sure, but, but uh, all joking aside, like, yeah, man, like it's no, it's no mistake that TikTok is the fastest growing social media site as at the very same time long form media is growing in its popularity at the same time it's it, you're right the fringes are pushing to the outside of because we need it we need these like we need to zoom in yeah and we've been doing that with science but I, but i want to advocate for the same thing in terms of like perspective and i think that perspective should be also thought of in long term time frames you know which is why I'm making this animated series with Earthcry, which is my side project. Uh, for those of you that aren't aware, I'm making like this really cockamamie, like kind of hilarious, like me trying to, I basically thought I wanted to write a book story, like a little short story along with this album that you would read while you listen to the music. And I realized a hundred people are going to do that. Maybe, you know, and if I can get instead more like 400 people to actually like watch this series and, 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 you know, listen and watch the words as it comes on. I, I then was like, Ooh, I'm going to get some, ani- I'm going to get an animator to do this. And it ended up being extremely expensive. So I was like, all right, <laughs> never mind. I'm just going to do this all myself and make it look cool and fun and engaging or whatever. But, uh, the story is centered around this kind of, kind of this like zoom out idea. You know, this is way off in the future after, you know, everything like this, this, the Holocene took its toll. Everything is just gone. You know what I mean? The, the, I don't, I don't really want to reveal exactly everything because I'm not totally done with all the, the, the episodes. But essentially, this is, this is, the earth has made its full recovery, uh, you know, however many billions of years in the future. And you have this one surviving little AI unit that was part of a large scale unit of all these different little AI cores that went out and wanted to explore the world because they were done being on earth. There was nothing left. They're like, let's just go figure out what else is going on. And this one remained, it turns on, it's it's supposed to get stimulated to the degree where it turns on when there's life forms around it again. Right. So it turns on in this lush place. It ends up talking to the earth and they have a conversation about, so you you have like the, the epitome of objective thinking, rationalization, (laughs) blah, blah on this side. And then you have the, the epitome of, uh, symbiosis and like, you know, uh, interdependence and, and all the, all these, these other principles. And so you have these two minds and ways of thinking, having an engaging conversation about various and topics. And so what I wanted to explore was a zoomed out point of view of pretty much everything that's occurring at, you know, at this moment. And yes, it does it, built into the story is the utter demise of humanity, but, <laughs> but it's all, it's it's all going in a really good direction. You know what I mean? I think that we need to explore, just like the sci-fi artists will exp- or the sci-fi authors will explore different uh, potentials for our technology, right? And our our social structure. I wanted to explore maybe some other things in terms of like what does it look like? What does the future look like without us? 
Because I think that's a good question to ask, a zoomed out question. There's so many zoomed out questions. Like that's, I want to spend the rest of my life thinking about this stuff, but the zoomed out question is what does the earth look like without people? You know what I mean? Is it better? Is it worse? Is it, what is it? You know what I mean? But what does it look like? How, how, how is it experienced? Are there emergent, uh, intelligences that occur in other places that are mind blowing? Do the octopuses figure out how to like, you know, expand their life? And now they're like the, you know, who knows what? I mean, it's just, that's something I wanted to explore. And I felt inclined to do this because the music itself was kind of like being like, Hey, this kind of sounds like what that is, you know, in some whatever cockamamie way that, you know, musicians equate words to, to sound or whatever. But anyway, uh, yeah, a zoomed out point of view. And so, so in this moment, we can see, you know, we can see down to where we can't understand it anymore. You know what I mean? Like the whole quantum thing. We, we, we can see it. We don't know what it is. We don't understand it. We can't, can't make heads or tails of it. You know, I was, uh, recently exposed to, I'm sure your listeners are already like, yeah, whatever, man. I just found out about the many worlds thing and it just blew my mind. Okay. Like the, I, it was just such a, such an interesting topic. And I, my life has changed ever since then. The thought that I might be like constantly splitting myself from the last reality I was in just by, by means of observing things like that was pretty crazy to, to explore. But anyway, uh, I'm, I'm rambling. I just, I just really feel like we can see so deep and we can see so, so in such high detail that like, I really, I really want the society to push the opposite direction and look at this insane acceleration and all that comes with it, all the good and the bad, and try our best to start asking big, big, huge questions, you know, because I, I think that's where where we can move forward, you know. So there's uh, one of the researchers at SFI, which has become this sort of like the new, uh, you know, conceptual planet that I'm orbiting. Um, so it, it comes up a lot. It's like I'm not getting – paid to promote this. It's, 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 it's awkward, but anyway, um, <laughs> the, uh, Jessica Flack, who I, I know I've, I've talked about on the show before. Um, she, you know, she works on collective computation and in a broader sense of computation, meaning like things coming together to aggregate information about their environment in order to adapt to the environment. You know, it's, it's very sort of platform, uh, independent, you know, it's, it's people, it's, it's not people. It's, it's, it's all sorts of things. And, um, one of you know, she gave a talk recently that I found really interesting because she was saying like, most people think of like more complex forms of life emerging from less complex forms of life. But she's like, have you looked at a cell? Like really, you know, like a cell is more complicated than my life as a human <laughs> being, you know, and also like, you know, comparably complicated to like trying to understand a cell is like trying to understand civilization, hmm. you know? And so she's like, actually, I think we're, you know, the computation, there's like a certain relativity to it where it's like, we're the bottleneck for the information, you know, for compressing information that we're taking in about the micro and the macro. And the complexity exists at all scales, but like relative to where we are, you know, like if we look far enough down or far enough up the chain of, of, you know, scale, then things look more and more complex, uh, to the point that they become random, you know? And so like at the human level, you know, like we, we have this like very, uh, what they call coarse grained, you know, grainy in terms of like low resolution op, you know, it's, 
it's efficiently uh, like compressed so that we can just sort of like bullshit our way through the day, you know, <laughs> like you just get, we've got our blinders on because mm-hmm. we have to, because that's, you know, that's the easiest way to get through the, the, you know, our life is to like, you know, your eye, I just found out recently, um, makes guesses about what it's seeing before the signal even gets to the brain, you know? And so like when you're trying to reproduce vision with a neural network in, in Silicon, then you have feed forward and feedback mechanisms, both going through the thing so that the machine, like an intelligent machine is developing expectations about what the, what kind of data it's receiving. Mm -hmm. And so this, this, uh, this kind of like bottlenecking thing means that like, Really, we're like it, it deprioritizes. It's you know this is my my constant saw that I'm like always banging on the show is that like human exceptionalism. Like we're not the we're not the tip of the evolutionary spear, you know. Um, that that if you look far enough down, then there it's there's some weird like toroidal thing going on where you get far enough down and it really is like you're back at the top of the the hourglass somehow, you know, like we, and we're just, we're just like watching one grain of sand go through at a time, (laughs) you know, but like the, you know, we're, that's only because of the way that we make sense of our world, you know? Well, uh, I've been reading, uh, I've been totally forget the author's name right now because I could say it at any other moment than when I'm doing a (laughs) podcast, uh, the art of learning Mm. by that chess guy. Do you remember his name? Kasparov? Ah, no. no. Uh, anyway, long story short, he – he Yeah, total fail. We <laughs> failed. Uh, he is talking about – and this is uh, something I had, I had recently also heard that the brain actively in the, the conscious state is doing one of three things maybe. And then the, the subconscious state is doing thousands of things, right? So it's more – one of the things that he's talking about in the book is teaching your your subconscious to do stuff. Like we talk about this whole flow state thing. It's the subconscious mind that is able to accomplish feats of insane amazingness because it is functioning on such a different high level that doesn't get filtered into the quagmire of your blah, like, you know, mind that's just like trying to do all this wacky stuff. You know what I mean? And, and so it was such an interesting thing to think about. Like if I'm on stage, for example, I start to think about potentially that I'm letting a certain member of the crowd down by not doing what they expect. <laughs> that thought, I, I, I rarely make eye contact with, with people when I'm playing because it's, it's one of those things I start to dive into. What is our relationship? You know what I mean? Uh, What, what, where is this person at? What led this person up to the show? And by that time, my band members are looking at me like, you know, what are you doing? Like you just missed the change, you know? And so, but what I found is that when I'm less, when it's less me and more the moment, everything is perfect. The notes are exactly what I wanted to hear. It's almost like me expecting the notes that I want to play is how I play them versus me like, I'm going to play this well, damn it. Like that thought is a conscious thought versus my subconscious just letting it happen, you know? So uh, what an interesting uh, time to be alive where we're also kind of uncovering some of these functions of the mind, that the mind is more uh, a trained machine. 
that gets treats much in the same way a beast would get treats when it does the right thing and and you know nothing when it does the wrong thing the 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 treat being that like oh i feel better you know uh it, it, so like this book i haven't finished it yet but i've been really blown away by it. it's, it's it's just called the art of learning check it out um about this guy's uh, the the way that he eloquently talks about learning chess is a really cool, I know it sounds boring, but this guy, for some reason, makes it not boring, and and explains how much more important the subconscious mind is than, I, I definitely have been taking it for granted, you know? And I wonder if, this is me just totally just, you know, extrapolating, but I wonder if, like, this kind of meditation, you know, thing that's happening, every, it seems like that's the new popular thing, like, everybody's talking about meditating. Meditate this, meditate that, you know what I mean? And it's, of course, it's 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 a commodified thing now, so it's like, if you want to have success in your business, you want your, you know, you want to see, uh, you know, you want to turn, you know, six figures, start meditating. I mean, yeah. The, the real benefits, you know, I think are allowing the subconscious to speak, you know what I mean? Instead of constantly stifling it with your, like, you know, incessant stream of just ridiculousness, you know what I mean? Boobs, sound, <laughs> color, you know, like it's, it's just like it's getting that to stop and allowing just what's like trying to surface. There's probably so much more information. I wonder if our next, you know, our 46 and two or whatever is a way to tap into that stream in a non-obtrusive way. You know what I mean? And we talk about the, the tiny voice in the mind. I also, my, my other recent thought is, is there, is our conscious the thing that tells us, hey, that's, that's not a moral thing to do, or that's not a, that's not a life affirming action there, buddy. Like maybe that like guy sitting on my shoulder is actually my, my subconscious. You know what I mean? We, 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 you know, back in the day, we talk about the higher self. I feel like, I don't know if it's like a higher self. I feel like it is the self you know, which is the thousands of processes happening at once of the subconscious mind. And that our conscious mind is like the little child that's like, ah, like play, fun, slide, you know, we water, you know, and the subconscious is like, Hey, check it out. This is a pattern. This is a habit. This is a thing, you know, let's move, let's, let's move like water. Let's move through this, you know? I don't know. So like to, to that point, the, uh, you know, at some point in the, the deep sea webpage thing, it says, uh, you know, fewer people have been to the bottom of the ocean than have been to the moon, you know? And so it, it really, it begs the question of what is the real horizon of, of our discovery or exploration and, you know, exploration, like, what is that? Like it's, you know, uh, the valence, like plus one is the same distance from zero as minus one. And so at any rate, the, you know, listening to this stuff reminds me of, um, uh, a shout out to Richard Doyle and his, you know, his, uh, brilliant work. Uh, I'm constantly talking about that book, Darwin's Pharmacy on the show, mm. but he, you know, he is the one, you know, that, that after he did all, you know, wrote these three amazing books on, on evolutionary biology, uh, got really deep into Advaita Vedanta non-dual Hinduism, uh, through intersecting with Gary Weber at, uh, also at Penn State University, and Gary was this guy who had been had been uh, you know practicing for like thirty five years, and then suddenly just went like you know like the Nirvana, like the candle snuffed, like just like woke up one day and wasn't a guy, like wasn't there anymore. It was like perfectly transparent to himself, and uh, I had the opportunity to speak to this guy once. On, Did he have an aneurysm or what? What occurred? No. Um. So 
it looks like from what I understand, although I think this is still like contested among neuroscientists, but from what I understand, Gary Weber was the outlying data point on a, a survey conducted by Jeffrey Martin, uh, formerly at Harvard, who was brain scanning people appointed by their communities of spiritual practice. He was telling me about this at, at Burning Man in 2013. And, and uh, a lot of these people are like kind of pathological. So like, let's set that to the side for a minute. But Gary is not. Because um, like what happens is like, apparently, uh, there's like modules of your brain that are responsible for differentiating yourself in time and space, creating autobiographical episodic memory, you know, where you're like, you're like the, you're basically all of that, that sand through the hourglass is like, you're creating the story of yourself to keep things coherent so that you can like basically prepare more effective expectations or whatever. Um, so that's that function, but, uh, it just shuts off in him. Like, and when they brain scan him, no blood is going to those regions of his brain anymore. And so it's an interesting question, like immediately, which is at the moment that you become enlightened and it turns out that there's like, there's like layers to it, right? Like at first you become sort of, uh, see through, like you, like you, you're aware that the ego is a, is an automatic construct, like your heartbeat that it's happening, but it's still going on. And then it becomes more transparent. And then pretty soon, like everything is love. And then last, like stage four is even love is just an idea, you know, and like everything is perfectly empty and luminous unto itself. And uh, at every one of these stages, the people reported like they would – if they were given the opportunity to go back to like from stage three to stage two enlightenment, that they wouldn't do it because they didn't – They it was like I thought I was – you know, I thought I had transcended suffering then, but it turns out it's like uncountably more transcendence of suffering now in this, mm. you know, state of even less, uh, you know, inner chatter. Mm. And so Gary Weber, I, I, you know, I spoke to him once over Skype, which is like an interesting way to <laughs> <laughs> like, it, like, uh, Rich hooked me up with Gary and, and I had a Skype chat with this guy. Um, cause I had been writing for a, a non-duality web magazine for a, a year and then the company folded under really kind of tragic circumstances, mm. um, where the guy I was working for kind of lost his mind, um, for unrelated reasons. But I think that like one of the things about awakening is that, uh, it seems like it freezes, like once you stop feeding the ego, that it freezes your ego development where it is. So there's this whole thing, like I've talked about this with, uh, you know, like various people on the show before about how I'm skeptical of like the racetrack, like get to enlightenment, like tran like slay the ego as quickly as possible approach. Because I think, uh, there, there appears to be, you know, a good reason to establish a solid foundation for that transcendence first to like allow the egg to gestate before it hatches, you know, um, mm -hmm. that there's a, and, and so like one of the things that Gary talked about was this, uh, this, uh, metaphor of the elephant and its rider, which I think you were just speaking to, mm -hmm. which was that like, you know, you, the rider can tell the elephant where to go, but like the elephant knows where to go, you know? And, and so, you know, if you're, 
driving an elephant, which is basically the position that each of us are in with our bodies, uh, where there's like all of this wisdom and intelligence that we're not directly aware of, you know, and responding to in that kind of a, you know, first person way. But if we just treat it like this thing that we can like whip and push around, we're missing the point uh, profoundly. And he was like the most present and and lucid dude I have ever spoken with, even over Skype. I was like, this guy is giving me 100% of his attention. None of it is going, none of it is leaving the room to like consider what he ate for breakfast or, you know, <laughs> who he wants to fuck. And he said that the only time that he ever experiences a, an I, a subjective self is when he has low blood sugar. And it got me thinking like, cause he and Richard Doyle both think that the self is basically like an emergency generator that comes on when you're under threat. And that the story of civilization is a story of like us being in some form or another of toxic shock or like mild trauma the whole time that like our entire history written history is as human beings is a history of like us is is like this projected grand scale episodic autobiographical thing like this this social super ego is this like macro scale hologram of the human being under conditions of emergency you know that's the first time i've ever heard that before uh clarify something for me yeah. his blood in his brain uh-huh. had been redirected and so blood sugar it seems like uh, I, I've often had this theory that that consciousness is filtered by the brain and disseminated into uh, the the various functions that the body does. But that consciousness itself, I've always had the suspicion that consciousness itself is more in the blood. You know what I mean? Huh. Like that, or at least like a mechanism that that lights the fire. You know what I mean? Is 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 a function of water and blood. You know what I mean? Versus a function of the brain, because as far as we can tell, the brain just does a great job at disseminating like utterable, uh, mimetic, <laughs> like, you know, uh, themes out of the noise. Right. And that the, 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 the breath of life, the, the, the thing that makes something alive isn't necessarily demonstrably that it has a consciousness. Cause we can think of millions of examples of what we wouldn't consider necessarily conscious or awake, but that, that, is just maybe just a bunch of noise and the brain is simply, you know, this is a totally, absolutely not scientific anything <laughs> whatsoever. I just, I just really like the experiment of thought that maybe it's something to do with the electricity that's, that's made between part particles of in the water that's in the blood or maybe particles in the blood that's interacting with the water that it's a, you know, anode cathode situation. Like, I'm not really sure like what, you know, I, I don't, this is not my area of expertise, but I mean, I really like the idea that maybe there is a, a, a physical blood redirection in the brain that can cause the noise to stop long enough to get a, to get a cue, you know what I mean? And to get like a, yeah. a, a clear fork in the path where you can choose a new, you know, which is, you know, in a lot of ways, the psychedelic experience maybe, maybe uh, simulates this because of the changes that, that are happening synaptically and, and, and blood too. Uh, I wonder if blood in and of itself in the brain, uh, is, is like a, I don't know that that's a, such an interesting thing to think about. Um, 
Yeah, crazy. Oh, and it's so funny. Jo- Josh Waitskin. Waitskin is the guy that wrote The Art of Learning. Okay. I think I got it. I think I got thinking about the <laughs> maybe the blood chain, maybe the synaptic, <laughs> something just like connected there. Yeah, jo- Josh Waitskin, Art of Learning. Uh, yeah. So uh, I when I had Eric Davis on the show recently, uh, we we spoke to this issue. He has this great idea that he brought up in High Weirdness about metabolic ontology. That like that there's something about you know the way that reality itself changes over the time sequence curve of a psychedelic experience mm-hmm. where you know like the actual like the like the the physical basis of existence the the structure of dimensionality and so on you know the the topology of the self other co-creative what he called like psychogenic networks you know where like and actually this leads into a I, I hope gracefully leads into uh, questions I wanted to ask you about about your actual like music and performance and and like what it is to be a. I mean, uh, we can't just sit here and, and riff a on musical fringes, man, like a I musical think. cyborg. <laughs> okay. But like no, but this is the thing, right? Is like as soon as you dispense with the sort of inherited notions of where the boundaries of yourself are, you know, and you you start to inquire into the intelligence, this broader intelligence of all of these unconscious processes and and you know, sink roots into that and illuminate that, then it becomes immediately uh it immediately begs the question of whether the you know, that system really ends at your skin, right? And it, and w- whether, you know, like to what degree are we now in like a Donna Haraway cyborg manifesto sense? Um, you know, this, that your thinking is something that you do with your tools. It's something that you do with other people and other, and other non people and everything in your environment. And so it's changed the way I think about life. Like, I don't think the question of the origin of life makes sense in the same way anymore because there had to have been a way and I've been thinking this saying this for years but it seems like it's becoming more kind of accepted in the sciences to think about the way that landscape itself has memory and like the way that even just rocks laying around are a sort of like a form of memory you know that's sort of maybe distributed or unintegrated and then life is just about you know, twisting the, the corkscrew of like deepening integration of, of, of the propagation of memory states in a landscape. Hmm. And so like when it comes to this question of, uh, you know, the, the transhuman and the future and, you know, the, the sense that you and I are both guys that like tonight I'm going to, you know, when I, when I open for you and I'll be having my inner, monitors and you, then you get on stage and you've got your in-ear monitors and we're like plugged into this thing literally where like the body is now part of this cybernetic circuit that we are thinking and speaking through the machines and of course all of us are doing this although in a much more like casual kind of like less sort of hood open obvious kind of way with phones, you know, like everything is mediated. Like when we talk about mediation of communication, you know, it just means like we're communicating to one another through tools and linguistic structures and all these like interfaces. And so like it, you know, the way that like the way that you, the way that I write, like I've, I've noticed 
if I like, I write very different things. If I'm driving in a car doing speech to text into my phone, or if I'm writing in a notebook, or if I'm, you know, like typing, even like typing on a laptop versus typing on an iPad keyboard is like a completely different thing. And like different selves emerge from those things. And like, did you read that Nicholas Carr? Sorry to interrupt. No, but go did ahead. you read Nicholas the Carr's The no, Shallows? Because he talks about the interface in some ways using the person. It's crazy. Go on. Uh, oh, the, the Shallows is one of the greatest works of literature I've read recently. Uh, I cannot sum this up quickly, but essentially the idea is that he's postulating that it's very possible that computers are using people to accomplish a, a task that creates a situation upon which humans are in general going to be somewhat subservient to this like emergent uh really in a lot of ways this uh, this emergent consciousness that is not human of origin and it's totally presented in a way that I'm, i mean like it was kind of like reading a course in miracles it's it does the same thing maybe for your <laughs> spirituality or the, maybe for your brain that A Course in Miracles does for your spirituality. Like you can't deny anything other than the obvious, you know, stupid, like, you know, kind of weird gender thing that it doesn't really ever refer to women. So annoying. But the, 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 the overarching message is you're like, man, like, okay, you got me, you know, like I, I can't deny that I will use a computer a very specific way, uh, that I will write a certain way. In fact, um, there were uh i'm i'm trying to remember who was using these different systems but people would write different based on their based on their thing and it's all based on some old uh oh um it wasn't plato plato was talking to some you know greek demigod back in the day and he was like don't write anything down whatever you do oh, this is the because conversation. yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Talks about this in technopoly yeah yeah, yeah same yeah. shit basically don't write anything down because what that will do is rob people's ability to remember yeah and like it's like i remember just like getting chills i was i, I only listened to, i mean the only reason i can listen to long form media is because i now have been running you know what I mean? And like trying to better my, my body for my brain's sake, whatever. Oh. And so like, you know, I, now that's when I, when I do the bulk of my listening and I stopped in the middle of a busy, like Asheville interchange, just like, Oh God, he's so right. Like, and it leads into everything. Like the more we automate these processes, the more, I mean, it's just, it's what the brain does. The brain only exercises and flexes, if you will, uh, what it needs to do and what it has to be tasked with. Versus what it has, what, it, like we, it, it it gets just it gets just uh, totally checked off the list, and the 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 poor little withering you know neuron is <laughs> deflates like a balloon eventually when it comes to like spelling, you know. <laughs> and recently, recently finding the goddamn grocery store, you that's know what I mean? That bad for you? Well, it's not for me. I still know where my grocery store is, but I think about that. And, and I, I recently had, had been, you know, the, the nugget I've been thinking about recently is how unbelievably fragile this, this blanket of this transitionary period between humans and automation, how this transition is, it's very fragile because the systems haven't been ingrained so deeply that, first of all, we have no way of, of ensuring that the energy is going to last. We have no way of ensuring that there's going to that, that that the transition of power between automation and people is going to go over in a non-violent way. That like all of these, or that there's going to be even a human element to how the world is ran 
in T minus 50 years. You know, there's no way to tell. And, and so I think that we're just cruising along and I don't mean to be alarmist. I'm stoked. Let's go. Like this is, I bought the ticket. I mean, I guess I didn't buy it, but I, uh, here I am. It was purchased for you. It was purchased for me. Like (laughs) sweet. You know, I would have rather done this than have, you know, had to bludgeon, you know, my, my, my significant other with the, you know, and I, I would, I would have rather been now when I can interface with the world in these new and exciting ways. But yeah, I think that people are, are for the most part pretty oblivious to the fact that it's, it's on the doorstep, you know? The self-driving cars is only the very, very, very beginning of what is going to become like, I mean, it's, the, the entire landscape is going to change. And I really enjoy the idea of landscape being like a form of memory. Like what is a mountain range? And at this point, is it some massive piece of braille? That maybe like that we left for ourselves. I was really fascinated to find that I don't know how much of this is fringe, but a lot of these uh, uh, shapes and mountains in rural China are actually ancient pyramids. And uh, yeah. that yeah, this is a pretty interesting thing. There are and, a lot more of those than we thought. Like, oh, yeah, a lot, a lot Eastern more. Europe and yeah, yeah and then maybe even in the Americas. You know what I mean? Like I, I, you know, Graham Hancock's Amazing America before. I don't know if you read that. I haven't. But yet. totally just blew my mind. What a guy! What what an incredibly strange time to, to be alive. And if any of what he's talking about in the book is remotely like factual, then that's what I, that's, that, that's the kind of reading that you have to do with these people. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. If any of this is remotely like, like happening, I'm, I'm in man. Woo. I'm so excited. Uh, but I'm mean, getting back to the whole fragility yeah. of our time. I, I feel like we're taking a huge amount of, this stuff as, oh, this is always going to be this way. It's fine. It's fine, everybody. Th- things are fine. Everything is just going to, going to happen. And, you know, I, I think what's interesting is that this is going to train us. It's going to train the, the, the millennials on how to survive and survive in a landscape that has never been visited before. We're going to have to learn how to grow food, but also at the same time grow our ability to talk to the other in a way that we've never had to before, you know? Yeah. I, I, my, my, my main nugget of, of late in the, 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 the political sphere is that we assume the other side, quote unquote, to be mentally insane or criminally insane. We do. Most well, it's, people. It's easier, and right? It's easier, it's easier sure. To just be like, I don't understand why someone would feel that way. And it's like, well, if you don't understand, then isn't it your responsibility? Like, isn't it just ridiculous to assume that it's because the other side is wrong? Right. You know, like, Right. So, so we're going to find ourselves in a po- post, uh, post automation, hopefully not apocalyptic, but post automation situation where there's going to be colonies of humans trying to figure it out. And you're, you no longer have the luxury to hide behind your laptop and get mad at the things you don't agree with. You now have to be like, rely on the guy that, that is good at shooting things. You know, you got, you're going to have to rely on him eventually. And he's going to have to rely on you because he doesn't know how to talk to anybody. So, you know, like, <laughs> fortunately, like, you know, like, like we're, we're going to reintegrate, I think, in times of, of, of this, maybe even this trauma that has made us, you know, what we are in some weird way. We're going to have to reintegrate with ourselves in, in, in ways because we're going to be challenged with that. And I feel it coming. Like, I, I, I don't feel it coming. I'm not like, Oh God, this is like, you know, cause I mean, you and I have, we were raised in like the, the best possible time. Like we had, this was a huge party and the party's almost over, you know what I mean? It, but, but it's also changing form and, and, and I hope we can celebrate through all of this, but I, I see people having to integrate 
in ways they never thought that they would have to do. And we will no longer have the luxury to say, you're another man, like you're evil because you think you, because you happen to think this way. It's such a, it's such a silly, like, it's just a crazy thing. I walk around daily driving my car, making a conservative decision one way and making a, a, you know, a liberal decision another way. I'm just a person. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't frame me into this like ridiculous way of saying that I'm just one thing. I'm, I'm a person. I'm, I'm constantly having these left and right thoughts on a daily basis. It has nothing to do with anything other than just being alive and having to make a decision, you know, like, so, so I, I, I just constantly, every single path that I take thinking wise fills me with hope because we're so good at adapting to stuff quickly. You know what I mean? Just look at the technology that comes out, the latest social media app. Our children understand it instantly. Like they get it completely. You know, I, I Instagram for me was such a, I was so, it was so simple that I couldn't understand it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm navigating the Facebook ad system because I'm like a, you know, I'm a musician. I have to figure out how to get the word out about the show. And it's so complicated. And then like Instagram has, oh, you just, you know, Melissa like grabbed the phone from me and she'd be like, you just, just hit the corner thing and swipe over here. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> and then I forget. Because it's not labeled. It's just like, you know, but it's, but it's so visceral. And so like exactly what, right. you know what I mean? But so the younger we are, it seems like the more we understand these, I mean, as your baby girl gets, gets more and more into this world, she she's going to blow she your mind. Pages yeah. Already. Already. Oh, Eight God. months old. And she's already like touch. Cause we have the, like the, the, like feel the, the, the baby chick book, you know, feel that this is a pig's face feel it's like different <laughs> textures. And so it's, it's not even like a, 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 uh, like iPad screen thing, you know, mm-hmm. cause like Kevin Kelly talked about that, about how he, when his daughters were coming up in the, the early iPads and then they would go to a magazine and be like, daddy, it's broken. Like it's, it doesn't, <laughs> it's not moving when I touch it, but like, she's already doing that. She's already like feeling like anytime she looks at an illustration, she like, she's like, wait a minute, that should be a that's not just a like it's like the the dimensionality of it you know and like i think that yeah the more that we surround kids early on with that kind of like a z axis where they can like reach into the page the more that just becomes the norm and like we move back out of the world of text you know as like something that's like distant from us that we only engage with sight and it becomes this like living interactive intelligent thing yeah right i mean we we live we say things are so screwed up now, like how are we going to make it, blah, 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 blah. But, I mean, we made it through the Black Plague, you know? We made it through, like, I mean, unbelievable odds constantly in every single, like, time frame you can think of back in time. We made it through unbelievable odds. This is a pretty – the odds are pretty unbelievable at this point. You know what I mean? Like, we are going to be dwarfed by a machine that can learn a language in five seconds. You know, how do you even talk to something like that? How do you, how do, you do that? The fact is, is that we don't know, but because we're so adaptable and because our children are so quick at catching on to the latest like thing, and because in some ways we don't realize it and we don't know how we're doing this, but we're already tailor fitting all of the things that we make for human interaction, uh, beknownst or unbeknownst, I don't have any doubt that there's going to be an integration that I think is a more hopeful thing because just because just by nature of looking at all of the stuff we've dealt with. We've had world-ending weapons for almost a hundred years. We've had, you know, we've had the 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 ability to completely wipe out, and it, ha- it has happened unfortunately before certain groups of people. We've had, but 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 by and large, 
the world is getting safer. It's getting, you know, more diversified. More people are having a voice. It's just, it's happening. I, I don't, you know, like if you zoom out again, if you zoom out, you're looking at a hopeful picture. Sorry. You know, you really are. Like you can't deny it. You know, there are definitely things you can, you can choose to be pessimistic about, but like I look at all of this with kind of a, I don't know. I look at all of this with a hopeful eye. I don't know why. I mean, maybe, maybe it's just that. I, maybe that's the kind of person that I am. I don't know. I think but, it is. And that's why it's good to talk to you. Cause I get oh. into these, <laughs> I get into these, these benders where I'm like, you know, the, the, like the cost of healthcare is going up at like three times the speed of our like wages. Right. And, you know, and like this whole, okay, boomer, like you don't understand. Like, you know, we're like perched, you know, like you guys were at like, you know, uh, you could throw a rock over the edge of the cliff, but like, we're looking like straight down from the edge, you know, and like the, the next generation is like Wiley E. Coyote, like, <laughs> like in the air over the, the ravine. How are they doing? And the anvil it? is falling on them. Yeah, and, yeah. It's like, but like, you know, um, the thing that you said about the language thing reminds me of, you know, I, I, you and I sort of promised ourselves we weren't going to go you know, all the way in on this last night, but like, the universal translator in Star Trek is, <laughs> is, is the universal translator not running Starfleet? Like is like all of the human, like all the admirals and all the people, you know, involved, you know, all these like, you know, these prestigious ambassadors and, and so on. Um, they're all communicating to each other through this thing. And like who taught the universal translator how to speak these alien languages? It did. And so it's the one that's like, binding this whole thing together, you know? And like, I was thinking about that with, with Google translate because they're already now at the point where you can get the pixel earbuds with Google translate built in and you can go to, you know, well, not China cause they, you know, they, they, they hate Google, but like you can go, you know, to, you know, most of the world and like listen to someone speak a foreign language and hear them in your own language. So at what point does it become, we're like, we're all speaking our own language. Every single person has their own language. Cause like, what evidence do we have that in Star Trek future, you know, 2350 or whatever, that, uh, English is even being spoken at all? Like, they might all just be speaking some weird, like, idiosyncratic, <laughs> you know, like, I just grew up, like, making mouth sounds and, like, somehow the universal translator knew what I was, like intending and they're all just speaking like gibberish, like crap, you know, and yet somehow it's, it's like working, which brings me, uh, less gracefully than I had hoped <laughs> to this, this question I had for you last night, which is like, you know, the last time I saw you guys, like I said, you know, you, you, there was so much more gear on stage and now it's like folded into, you know, you've been, you've been teaching uh seed, the seed to stage YouTube channel. You've been teaching people how to make music and, and, you know, like produce stuff in Ableton Live. And I found it just immensely. Like I've been using live since 2004, but mm -hmm. like you've been teaching me so much, like <laughs> about this stuff that I kind of like glossed over. And like the people that are coming up in this stuff now are learning so much faster than I was at the time with assistance from people such as yourself and like, you know, Mr. Bill and, and you suck at producing and all these people. And, um, and, then like live caught you 
and has been like featuring your stuff on the Ableton home webpage. And then like, so I wasn't totally surprised that you guys, like suddenly I show up last night and like you're running three instances of live on stage with the three pushes. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, cause I was going to ask you before I saw your setup last night, I was going to be like, so is this weird? Like that you're, you know, Anthony Thogmartin music producer, you know, like I've never seen Papadocio mentioned on the Ableton page. Uh, and it's, and I was like, is this like causing tension in the band? And then I come in last night and I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. Ableton just took over Papadocio. You know, <laughs> like this is the, this um, is the, this is the Neil, the, the Nicholas Carr thing, right? Which is that sure, like, sure, you know, yeah, the machine yeah. is like, it, and it's not, it's neither bad nor good. And in, it's in, in some sense, it just is what it is, but it's like, it, you know, this more efficient, more complete, more expressive way of communicating musically both with the audience and between yourselves as band members where you can like link your, your, you know, your stuff wirelessly and so on. Um, this has, this, this has like taken over the conversation and like infused you and is like the new architecture <laughs> of this thing that has been going on. This band has been going on for years and years and years. And then like suddenly like the new layer is like a new cortex grew in the brain and is now like, regulating all of the lower brain functions that are like the five guys in Papadocio. And I was just like, interesting. Okay. I didn't see that coming. Like I should have, this might be a good form, Matt, to talk about this thing. I'd like to present that I don't necessarily think Ableton had never had ever not taken over the band. Like it, it started out, I became sort of homeless in 2004 <laughs> or three or something. And these, this, this group of girls were living in this, uh, this really awesome, uh, house, three old peach up, up, uh, up in Athens, Ohio. And they, they took me in and let me stay in the, in the cellar. And in the cellar, I had a PC and this PC was, uh, I don't know. It wasn't really, uh, equipped for the job, but I, I ended up getting, uh, I think it was Ableton three at the time. Um, and, wrote a lot of the first couple songs that we, that we played using the software because I felt that it was really right-brained. Like I was like, oh, I can compartmentalize my ideas into what's known as clips, right? These little mm -hmm. clips are different musical ideas, and I can play them at different times over top of different ones and see which ones work. And I was like, oh, my God, this is how my brain thinks. When a guitar player sits down and plays a riff, you know, cha -cha -cha -cha, it's a riff. You think of how those riffs are going to fit together in a, in a lattice work of a song, right? Yeah. And, like, I was writing music not necessarily assisted by Ableton, but more in that, like I was able to have a filing cabinet in front of me of my musical ideas that happened to be the same speed and the same key. And I realized like the potential of this, like pretty early. And, you know, I, 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 I thought, okay, so how are we going to, how are we going to like take this into the stage? And it wasn't like that for a long time. We wrote our music on Ableton live and then took out synthesizers. And so Zoom passed all these, you know, this, this last insane 15 years of, in, of craziness and, and where we're at now. I, yeah. So, so the, the, the Ableton.com guy hits me up and he's like, Hey, we really like your videos, namely the one of how to make, you know, uh, unique sounds with Ableton Live. And that was the one he really liked, which to me, I felt was kind of like the most clickbaity you know what I mean? Like it wasn't a, on a specific topic, but people enjoyed it. And so they posted it on their page 
And, you know, all of a sudden, like, everyone's, like, on the page, and there's all these comments, and it's blowing up. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, this was just a thing. Seed to Stage, the YouTube channel, was just a thing where I had a little webcam sitting beside my world. And whenever I was doing something I thought people could benefit from, I just turned the webcam on and just talked to the mic and then exported it, and that was it. It was It's really easy. Like, I haven't been really, like, going out of my way to do any of this. But he was so into that um, episode that they that they shared it. Then zoom into the whole microdosio conversation. We basically were like, okay, we've got these tiny stages we're going to do. How are we going to like do this? Oh, wait, maybe this is a way we can finally tour Europe. Oh, wait, maybe this is a way that people will be like stoked just to see us try something else. You know, oh, wait, let's try this. Microdosio. It's a funny idea. It's gimmicky. Why not? This will be really funny. So it became the idea was then we're going to use all hardware, no laptops. Okay. This was the conversation. We were going to have a bunch of hardware sequencers and all kinds of other like stuff. Hot ship, yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. And we were going to get like, I was going to go find like an old MPC, you know, from the nineties. And like, we were really going to go hard that way. And, and then this whole thing happened and I was like, what am I doing? If I abandon this wave that's being, that's happening. I mean, uh, it's crazy. I'll post a video. I've never experienced the social media power that YouTube has. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when you subscribe to someone on YouTube, it's not like following someone on Instagram. You know, the chances that someone will actually see the picture you 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 post is like, you know, one in 10, maybe we'll see it. On YouTube, if you're subscribed with a notification bell hit, everybody that subscribed to you is going to see that video. I mean, that is serious internet power. That's probably the last frontier of internet power in some ways. You know what I mean? Because now all the emails are behind pay gates and you know everything else. If you, It's because Google wants to what? They want to service people ads, right? Yeah. So they want to make sure that they can efficiently service as many people ads as, as, as possible. So all of us, you know, hopefully superheroes of, of, the, of the internet world that are just trying to disseminate useful information to people, which is what I feel like the internet was originally designed for, is for useful information to get to the right people. Uh, I was like, okay, at the same time we're coming out with this idea of microdosio, this whole Ableton wave is happening. So why not embrace this? An Ableton push controller, for example, can be all of those different devices in one. And it actually shrinks the stage plot, too. So it's it's along with the idea. Instead of having a tabletop full of wires and gadgets everywhere, we can have a sampler. We can have a looper. We can have an effect processor. We can have all of it in one device. So it only made sense and served the idea of Microdosio to do it with these Ableton pushes, right? It's not elegant to have a laptop on stage. It never has been and never will be. But using this device... And, you know, the, the, the beat syncing that can happen between, uh, laptops and all the different advantages that Ableton, like, offers. Like, it's just undeniable. And the fact that, I mean, really, this is my harebrained, like, like, master plan of filming somewhat of a mini doc and pitching it to Ableton and hopefully they'll put something about Papadocio on their website. That's, like, what this is all hopefully leading toward. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, full disclosure. Um, but that's just it. It's like, it's like, yes. Like, how may we prostrate ourselves to you, oh, great machine? Yeah. You know, like, what, please, mind, like, let me, like, leave some incense burning for you while I have a dream and, like, go on my thing, you know? What's great about Ableton, though, and and and, and I have my, I definitely have critiques of the software, like, like age-old critiques that have lasted since, like, the first version that I had of it, um, but one of its strengths um, is that it is basically a completely arbitrary However you want to accomplish a musical task, you can bend and shape the software to do that for you on a stage. And I think that that is great. And Bitwig is, is close, is, 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 is there too. You know, I've, I've started to dive into Bitwig a little bit more, which if your listeners aren't familiar, Bitwig is a, a one of the guys that 
or a couple of the guys that worked on Ableton's original engine moved on to do all the things that they wish that Ableton would do. And it's a totally modular environment, which, which you could say, I guess, is the most possible flexible system that exists, you know, but, um, long story short, you can take any musical idea that you have and you can make it work on stage. You want to play in sync with a drummer. It's easy. You want to just have like a bunch of cubes that light up colors and you smack them with your hand and they make chords. You can do that with Ableton. It's, it, there, there is, the sky is the limit. And I wanted to, I started the channel with the hope that those kind of people would see the channel, not the guy that wants to make another wompy, like, you know, whatever. It's just so boring. I, the people that want to have a setup on stage that's just mind blowing and totally new and totally different. And where this is all hopefully leading is that these, these schools, I have these actual schools that we do in person. There's going to be one, uh, in Asheville this year in May seed to stage Academy is what we call it. We're also going to do one in hopefully Denver as well. And we're going to roll both of these out pretty soon here. Um, but what I really want to see the fruit of all this be is yeah, that, that, that Papadocio has a, has a web special on Ableton.com and that, I'm able to empower a bunch of people to do the wackiest possible ideas. You know, that maybe somebody is like dressed like an angel and they can flap their wings and it makes chords, like whatever you can think of, you know, like, okay. Rude host guest interruption here. Let's go. Now is the time to bring up the fact that like the obvious, uh, like mycelial thread connecting microdosio to Android Jones and Anson Fong working on microdose VR. Right. Yeah. Because like when I visited the Jones ranch in uh, or farm in uh, Colorado in 2016, my main thing was I've been thinking about this for a decade. And so this is essentially a, a, a call, uh, an open call for programmer assistance on this thing. And like your listeners more than anyone probably have the people who like have the, the practical know-how to achieve this. Um, at the time to achieve it, the interest that I, I said, okay, you guys are designing this virtual reality interf- interface where you can, you know, wield, uh, particle animations and like create these beautiful ephemeral sculptures in VR and get into this flow state, which links us back to the, like the, the riderless elephant kind of, you know, attitude where you're allowing the kin- kinesthetic intelligence of the body to speak. And, uh, so the one missing piece is I want, and I've seen is Sennheiser actually has started doing this with uh, the the Magic Leap headset a little bit, as well as with a separate audio mixing environment that they have for VR, where they're starting to think of mixing audio in in actual space, like the spatial computing, where it's no longer you're like mixing audio just between you know like uh, just between the stereo forms or between like some. Uh, you know, virtual speaker array per se that you're like working like, uh, uh, envelope has that awesome surround sound plugin for Ableton live, uh, now that, but they, they, um, you know, this idea that the same dance that you're making for, like I said, all you need, all you need to do is find a way to send the gestural controlled data from microdose to Ableton Live so that every shape that you're making is tied to a specific synth patch. And then like as you draw something in the air, that's where it's located in the audio field as well. Mm-hmm. And then you can project this in a way so that the audience is surrounded by an audiovisual performance that you're in. And so you're at the center, you know, the performer is at the center of this thing doing what Android and Phaedra 
and like a David Block human experience used to do as a three part job for, for a Phaedroid where they had one person projecting visuals, one person dancing and one person doing music. I was like, why not just that be each person completely? And then you could have like a glitch mob of these people. So you could have like an entire band of people that are inhabiting the same virtual reality or augmented reality, uh, sculpture park where they're like leaving looped statements in air and then like grabbing them and moving them around. Mm, mm-hmm. And then you can create these, these evolving gardens of, of sound and color and movement that, you know, like the push is an extraordinary tool and I love it, but like, it's still, you know, it's like, it's like the point one step beyond <laughs> like laptop and MIDI keyboard stuff. And like, how do you get it? Like the Mimu gloves are a step in the right direction and like some of these other tools, but like it, and like, I'm amazed to hear that uh, apparently Oculus quest because it has the outward facing IR cameras is going to be doing just hand detection early mm-hmm. next year. And they're going to roll out, like you can drop the paddles and just use your hands, mm-hmm. you know? And so like, at what point does it become like, you're just wearing the smart glasses and in your bedroom with your bare hands, you're just like, painting musical objects, grabbing them, moving them around and creating this synesthetic orchestra that can be experienced and appreciated by blind people and deaf people at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's, that's the goal. (laughs) I don't know how to code this people help, help us do this. And I'm sure we can get, you know, the, you know, microdose and Ableton to like, you know, throw some, throw some skrill on us. Cause this is like the most, I, I mean, the fact that it hasn't happened yet just stuns me, you know? Well, I can speak to some of this. The technology exists now. It's not like the technology doesn't exist. What doesn't exist is the teams and scores of people that are working on debugging and trying to get the gestural controls not to be so so uh, clunky. Right. And MIDI is clunky because the MIDI point, you know, MIDI 2 hasn't really happened yet. and uh, Or I guess it has happened to some degree, but MIDI is only... For your listeners that don't understand, there's only 128 points of resolution in MIDI. So are there 128 points of moving your arm left to right? Absolutely not. There's so many more. And so when we talk about increasing resolution of control, there are two levels of clunkiness that are occurring. One in that the gestural control itself has a, has a built-in latency because the computer can't predict what you're about to do. Although I imagine that some of the, the, the advances in that technology are going to have to do with movement prediction. Well, so you know that, which is, that Google's uh, video calls now, if there are connection dropouts, they're using machine learning in the latest pixel update to anticipate the next sound you're, you're going yeah. to say so that you don't hear the line glitch anymore, which like would have saved me probably hundreds of hours of editing. Well, think about how podcast. efficient that is. Yeah. Think about how efficient that is in language. Because if I'm talking down, that means I'm probably about to stop talking. Or if I get excited and I'm going to keep talking about something, that probably means I'm going to go up and then I'm going to start going back down. It's really easy for – like if you can break things down in a, a – yet again, another zoomed-out point of view, you can start to see how these technologies might be developed. What I don't want is a computer to assume that I'm going to you know, do the same 4-4 beat rhythm dropout in one certain spot. What I really want is – yeah, essentially what I was saying before is that there needs to be a, there needs to be a dedicated teams and lots of money poured into into these programming environments where people are trying to f- fuse these these lands together. And I think it's going to take a little longer than either of us want to admit because essentially you're asking for something to unite color and sound 
in like a really fun way is yes is is in is in some ways kind of a burner kind of like kind of dream if people knew what it was and the average person could see what it was they'd be like why the fuck didn't we spend more time trying to figure this out before i know exactly what you're saying you're basically talking about developing a synthesis or a daw style uh, thing in the bedroom. Trust me, what I, what I've always wanted is to not sit in front of my computer with a click mouse. And, <laughs> and it's so funny, man. Like the, 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 the gods of music at this point are absolute dweebs, man. Like that they're, they're the guys that are like, nah, I'm going to make this drop happen here. They just click a mouse. You know what I mean? Like hey, it, it's so funny. Years. Well, I know. And it's so ridiculous. It's like, I will, what I want is to be able to pull a, a, a huge, like, you know, hardware switch that, like, turns something on. Or if I want to open a filter, I want to have this huge, like, you know, Paul Bunyan style, like, you know, like, like thing. If I want to drop the bass, I want, like, a TNT, like, box blaster. <laughs> you know, I want, I want, like, there's so many, like, potentials for this. And I want to stand in my room and conduct this beautiful thing, you know, and I, I love that dream. I think the only, and the only reason that we're far off from this is, is that the market is driven by MIDI. First of all, MIDI one, everything still is being built with MIDI one connectivity. We still have zero through 127 points of resolution for most of our controls. Sad, really, you know what I mean? And, and, and the software, all the software talks to each other via this, this stuff. There's also this other thing, NRPN something, which has 5,000 points OSC of resolution. OSC, sure. Yeah. OSC. But what happens is, is if the, 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 the very root control of the, of said device is MIDI, then it all goes out the window. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and especially if you're, if you're, uh, functioning on, EQ, for example, and you're taking a cutoff knob and you're turning it down drastically and quickly, you can hear the points of resolution. It'll stop on them. It's because cutoff, it addresses such a huge wide range of our listening, you know, and what I mean by a frequency cutoff. So let's say I was using a low pass filter and I was passing from 20 Hertz all the way down to like a hundred. I would have navigated most of our listening range and you can hear those different places where it hangs up and it gets caught and, and we, we, we can't work with that. That doesn't that doesn't lend itself to a RGB world where I can see every single shade and you know rendition of color. We need we need more resolution in the, on the audio side. That's a big one. The, on, on the visual side, we need these controls to be less clunky. And it, it's fascinating to hear that now we're going to be able to look at fingers and be able to you know differentiate these kinds of things. But we need to also uh, build these virtual control rooms. Another thing that I'm really excited about is all, all my visionary art friends that are making these places. I can't wait until they're designing spaces for me to be in, you know, because that's like, that's I, I, like, like Melissa's art is, it speaks to my soul. You know, I fell in love with this artist on one of those, one of those pillars that, that held up the beginning of our relationship was that I wanted to walk around in her world, you know? And so I've all, I've often thought like, I hope that the technology exists by the time we're old and gray that she can design me a beautiful garden to like lay in, you know oh, what I mean? Sure. On the lily pads and the waterfalls and all the surrealist kind of things that she does. And I, I can't wait for people to have that kind of ability to make that. And I hope that it's not predicated on the continual extractive, destructive energy lattice work that, you know, we've designed the world with. I hope that it's, that we figured something else out. But, you know, if I can get my brain out of that like pit for a while and really just think about what's possible and stop being so like judgmental about what we're doing, like 
I get really excited about this, you know, and, and I don't know what you'd even call this, but I do feel like the microdose VR, those people are really, really, they're, they're, they're thinking about this and maybe like the, one of the, you know, I was talking a lot with, with blue tech, Evan blue tech about this when he was part of the company. Uh, and he was explaining that this was one of the nuggets that they could yield is a, a fully, a fully immersive DAW right. that you're in. Right. Yeah. Plus the, uh, you know, like thinking beyond the headset, you know, getting into like room based, like Pico projectors where you're not even, you know, cause the one thing that like and Nikki and I were joking about this when I got the quest, I was like, Oh, sweet. I'm going to go hiking with this thing. I'm going to find a power place up in the Santa Fe mountains, you know, like go up in there and like mm. find the like uh lion King promenade where I can like stand over the city and, <laughs> you know, get into like tilt brush or whatever and like make my, my thing. And she was like, uh, bears, <laughs> bears i was like oh yeah right there's that whole part about like the reason that vr i think you know i might be dating myself this recording great timestamp you know end of 2019 uh end of a very uh bitter decade um a great way to end it you know here chatting with you uh this <laughs> that that you know i've sort of uh not convinced that VR per se is ever going to go anywhere in the form factor that it currently exists in because there's something so deeply unnatural about shutting yourself off from the surrounding environment mm-hmm. in order to put mm-hmm. yourself in the world. Like the, the thing that it seems to be really, and I was talking about this actually, uh, Ramin Nazer and I recorded an episode to release on each other's respective uh, Patreon feeds where he was asking me about the Oculus quest. And I was like, I think that, it's great, but I think that ultimately like VR is going to be like the most opaque mode at the end of the spectrum of AR where like it re- – like the default setting is actually just to add that stuff into the room that you're already in mm. so that you're not – like because I can't – I got the quest, but I'm a dad. I can't put the <laughs> fucking thing on mm. in the same room as my daughter because mm. then I'm shutting her out and then she's looking at me like I'm the Borg. You know, like what, where – like wh- where is he? What happened? What is this crap? Mm-hmm. You know, and so like there is – you know, I think that that's to speaking to the fragility of this moment. I think that there is this sense in which, you know, that we, we, you know, when people talk about being div- separated from like at odds with, at war with technology, it's so bizarre to me because it seems more than anything just an epistemic mode that is the product of our conditioning based on an, a, 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 a very early stage of the conversation between technological intelligence and, and human intelligence. And that we're not at the point yet where like, it's like when you first start dating somebody and they don't really understand you, you know, and they're, they're not like, you don't know how to like spoon the person quite, you know, like where, how do we sleep in the same bed together, you know, and things are awkward and uncomfortable. And then finally you find your, your groove together. Mm -hmm. And like, we're at that point, like with Nick Carr, you know, uh, the other great book that I think I co-recommended when you brought up the shallows last year was, uh, you know, his book, the glass cage Mm -hmm. where he's talking about, there's forms of automation that make us dumber because they just outboard what we should be thinking about. Um, and then there's forms of automation that make us smarter. Like most people take for, for granted the, that video games without a manual where you're just dumped into the world and have to learn things like a baby, that that's actually good for you. That's like good for your brain because yeah, that like there are ways that, that we are amplified and augmented by, by tools, uh, 
and I think those ways are going to win out over the ways that try to replace the world that already exists, you know? So, well, they're like a springboard. Yeah. Ableton is a good example because you can't make a Grammy winning beat not knowing anything. I mean, you could, you could, you could maybe accidentally stumble upon something pretty fun just by messing around, but yeah, they're, they're, they're springboards. I, I, I feel that. And I, I, I also do think that once we make these immersive control environments, that maybe even new music is is possible in some way, at least, I mean, at least in the way that it's experienced, like you were saying, um, I don't know. It is a fascinating time to be alive. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to learn how to, to stop consistently vilifying technology because I don't, I don't see technology. I see, I see technology as, a, as, and at least the bad parts of technology as symptomatic of a deeper issue that has nothing to do with technology, you know, and has everything to do with the human condition and the, the layers upon which we try to, we try to force onto the world, you know, versus what it actually is. You know, like if you zoom out far enough, what technologically happens to earth or its environment has literally next to nothing to do with the universe. You know what I mean? But it has everything to do with our personal universe. And, uh, you know, uh, which is why it's such an interesting time to be alive because what you vilify and what you treat as like maybe even a boon, uh, all relies on your sense of scale, you know, like what exactly, does it matter to an insect that will survive, you know, a nuclear holocaust? You know, it probably would look at this as a good thing, you know. Oh, sweet. Now we can multiply. You know what I mean? Like, it, it all depends upon your point of view and perspective. And I don't know what a, you know, I'm just, um, if I sit down long enough and let all these kinds of things in, I, I, I kind of get lost in the sauce, man. There's so much to, to consider and think about in this, in this auspicious and terrifying, beautiful, future man well okay so this seems like the right place to to uh land this safely and uh you know gracefully there you know we've we've brought up so much that suggests in this conversation not just the content but also the form structure medium container with which we may be in some sort of conversation with the, with the future right and then like uh, the, the, you know, to, to, to zoom out, which is also zooming in, in the way that we've been discussing this, there is this, um, the sense in which, like, I guess I haven't really thought too much about this in the past, like asking people at the end of the episodes, what kind of message they would hope to, to leave or to receive from some unimaginably distant future. But like, I'd like to ask you that, but on top of that, you know, as you were alluding to with like walking into one of Melissa's paintings, um, in what medium, like what modality would you want to communicate with the future in? You know, like, uh, I know Kung Fu, like just instant brain rewiring or, uh, like walk into the Pico projected VR room or like, and then it, within that, what, what would you hope to, to say? To say, um, well, I feel like I could answer more like what I would hope to maybe experience than, um, cause I, I, 
I think we live in a, in a pretty funny time where people really assume a lot. We assume that we are we're, we're very uh, audacious. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? We 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 take most things for granted, and and for me to like try to say anything to help the future, you know what I mean? Doesn't necessarily make sense. I I, I wish. I wish more than anything else that I could hear from the future. And cause we even have that song distress signal that we just came out with, which the, 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 the hook is just a little bit of help here, please. You know, we're, we're <laughs> you know, trying to reach out to, you know, a species. I, some guy said to me something that I really, that I really took to heart. It was a uh, only beings that the only beings that have the right to travel the cosmos have a high level of agreeability between them. And I really, that really just like is a constant thing to think about that you don't have the right to travel the the cosmos without having cultivated a little bit of agreement. And like, you know, can you argue with that? Not really. I mean, like, like, like if we want to build a bridge and it's you and me and the task is to build the bridge, but we absolutely disagree with each other on every single point the bridge is not going to be built. If we agree on some points, the bridge will be built faster. If we agree on more points, the, the bridge will be built really quickly. You know what I mean? Uh, so will the bridge last if we only and specifically agree? Probably not. We, it, But if we find some sort of synergy somewhere in the middle, then the bridge gets built. And I think that our personal bridge to the future relies heavily on our ability to kind of cast aside these the the differential like ways that we disagree and the exacerbating like uh, the cultural climate that makes it a lot more inflammatory than it really should be. I think if I could send any, any message or if we were to receive something from the future, it would be like the, it would be like Star Trek. We left in the dust. Like, you know, that one time when Picard's talking about having left the idea of money in the past, like we, we, what did he say? He's like, we've moved on to more cerebral pursuits. We're like bettering ourselves. Well, I think he said yeah. we moved on to more cerebral pursuits, which if you think about what that means, like what is our main pursuit? What is your main motivator at this point? If you, if people were to be honest, it would be the acclimation of, of wealth, you know what I mean? And power. And both of those things re- rely on you being differentiated from the, the person beside you. And so uh, I think that if we were to look at a successful future, the message they would send us is stop exacerbating the things that make you different and zoom out a little bit and look at the things that make you, you know, everybody wants to be safe. Everybody wants access to resources. Everybody wants to be able to express themselves artistically. And that's it. You know, that's what you all agree on, regardless of what you think you think. You all agree on those on those talking points. Nobody wants to have less access to resources. Nobody wants to have – you just disagree on the fine print. You know what yeah. I mean? And that's it. So I think, yeah, the, the overarching message from the future is, hey, like start focusing on what you guys all agree on and you can travel the cosmos, you know, and then the world opens up to you. And, and in, what, uh, in what form would you like to – I want it to be that. biological. Yeah. I want it to be biological and I want I just want biology to consist, consistently realize what it is because I don't think we have it all we haven't like for, you know th- this is I don't I don't want to go on another tangent. How do I how do I make <laughs> this really quick? Essentially a body is so much more fa- fascinating I think and capable of things that we don't understand or, or or know yet and it by far is still a technology that we only barely understand. 
It's capable of incredible feats. It's it's capable of like uh, unbelievable dreams. You know, like the, the 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 body is such a perfect system. Can we have nothing? Everything that we have is an infantile, like you know, blah, trying to reach for something. Whereas the body is this technology that is like time tested. You know what I mean? Like adaptable, intelligent, like all these things. Like uh, you know, uh, without giving away too much. The whole story of of identity mitosis, the animated series that I'm working on, uh, is pointing back to biology, and this 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 AI is learning about biology and kind of changing its mind about biology, which is pretty pretty interesting. Whether you know this is just a a, a fantasy kind of thing, but I want to see, I want to experience the world through human eyes or whatever the heck we become, even if it's like an amoebus blob that can float through space and <laughs> exist and absorb energy from the sun. I don't know what we're going to be, but the the biological thing is so much farther ahead than our our, our grasping technology that I, I don't think that I mean we can try to aid it with technology, but that only is to an ends for you know maybe a not so smart like end. You know what I mean? Like maybe we need to 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 surf this weird thing that needs water and oxygen and a and a pretty healthy blend of the both that isn't tainted by you know heavy metals and maybe we need this vessel. You know, and I, I don't want to get away from it. I, 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 I think it's precious, you know? Yeah, that's, I, I, I still hold out that the time machine <laughs> it already exists and that it's just your own brain, you know, and that like, it's that we're, we're sitting here like, how do I do the thing? And it's really, you know, just you, you're, you you got to expand the horizon inward, you know, and then you'll be like, oh yeah, I can be whenever I want to be. Maybe there's a machine at the center of me. I don't know. It's yeah. very possible. I don't, I, I just, it's a romantic thought, I guess, more than anything else. You know? And if there isn't, then maybe you can get Ableton to install one next year. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Anthony, I love you, man. I it's, love you so much. I'm Mike. so glad yeah. that this happened. Yeah. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks again for listening. Future Fossils is one of many illuminating podcasts available on the Mind Pod Network. I recommend you uh, trip on over there and check them all out. For more episodes, show notes, and extensive copious extras and head over to patreon.com slash Michael Garfield. Subscribe to the show anywhere you go for podcasts. And I'm always happy to hear from you. Future Fossils Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And may your now be deep, wide, and wonderful. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>